Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 157. We're at a conversation with Wellington-based writer David Cohen. Now, I've always wanted to meet David Cohen and talk to him, I guess mostly because we've both lived in Wellington for the last quarter century and done a lot of similar things. We've both written about music, both worked as freelance writers, uh, we've got a lot of similar interests and hobbies, I guess. And I had enjoyed his work, but just never, never met him. I mean, we we had, you know, uh, corresponded a bit and friends on Facebook and that sort of thing. Uh, but that's only been in recent years. So he's someone I've always wanted to talk to for the podcast. Well, fortunately, he has a brand new book. It gets released uh, right, right as you're hearing this podcast. Actually, it's called Book of Cohen. It is a book where David Cohen unpacks his. Um, his lifelong fandom of Leonard Cohen. So it's part tribute to Leonard Cohen, but it, it, it weaves a whole lot of different narratives. It's a travel story, it's a f- personal memoir, a family history story. Um, it's, it's, it's a series of essays, really, ruminations. We, t- we talk about this quite a lot in the podcast, uh, the book and, and um, the approach to writing it and what, it, what, he tr- what he's trying to achieve with it. Um, I, I love the book. I was fortunate to get an early copy of it so that we could have this conversation. And um, there's a lot in there for Leonard Cohen fans. Um, there's a lot in there for David Cohen fans. He's written several books already, including a, a fantastic Greatest Hits collection, which which was uh, sort of 20, marking 25 years of freelance uh, journalism. And I thoroughly recommend that. That came out sort of, uh, I guess, four or five years ago. Um, yeah, so this is my very first time meeting David. He came around to the house uh, earlier this week and we recorded this conversation and I wanted to put it up straight away or close enough to straight away because the book is being launched on uh, on Thursday, probably as you're hearing this, uh, 5.30 at Slowboat Records in Wellington and Cuba Street. And um, yeah, then the book's out into the world and, and you know maybe there's a possibility of some more launch events. Uh, there's some interest to have a a launch in Christchurch or Auckland, so David's interested in those things if they if they should happen. Uh, but we also got to talk a bit about his past as a rock writer, as a as a, a music scribe for the for the Wellington newspaper, which is a job that I have done as well. So um, we talked about some of his some of his war stories, which I enjoyed hearing because he he has some good ones and he wrote uh, for the newspaper in a different era to me. So uh, David's come up through journalism as someone who who worked on typewriters, sent faxes, sent emails, and, and now, of course, uses social media as part of his game too. So, yeah, we had a good old chat about writing, all things writing, and lots of things Leonard Cohen, and so um, I hope you enjoy this. This is this is me talking with Wellington-based writer, internationally published writer, David Cohen. So I was thinking that in you, reading your new book, you, you quote... This, uh, this line, this idea that the only question that needs to be asked is what are you going through right now? And I thought, should we start there? Since uh, I've just met you... You are specifically asking <laughs> I'm asking I'm going you. Through. Yeah, 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 because that's relevant to your book. Right, I'm going through a period of uh, self-disgust. <laughs> uh, um, and I think anyone who's completed a book, uh, a, a manuscript... Uh, or has a book about mm. to come out, or a record, mm. understands this. Um, the, the, there is a self-loathing in the process. Yeah, or a gal- or an exhibition at a gallery. Or, or, or a, any a, of those th- things. Yeah, uh, because you've just taken your clothes off, uh, and it's just you standing in the street. Mm. Um, 
and you know I don't want to be grandiose about this mm. but uh, you know in a sort of humble brag way <laughs> uh, um, but I mean I'm sure even Nick Cave yeah. he does one of his um, exquisite records feels yeah. the, the same way um, you, you, why do you feel this way because um, you're aware of a hundred things you could have done differently uh, better uh, more specifically uh, but you also know if you attended to those hundred things mm-hmm. there'll be a hundred there'll be two hundred yeah. um, so you have to uh, ultimately just think this is the best I could do now mm-hmm. um, yes if I'd had another two years it would have been two years better mm. but then I would have needed another five years um, and by the way that question comes from a, 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 a mystical writer Simon mm. Vai mm. Uh, who Leonard Cohen uh, um, admired uh, and uh, and she's my favourite uh, re- religious thinker actually. so my part two of that and well beforehand I'll just I've told this story before a few times but very quickly when I you know when I wrote my book I had no problem seeing the page proofs very exciting no problem you know answering emails about edits the day the first full copy arrived for me to look at I couldn't look at it so yeah I know I know I know you know that was my thing like my wife emailed me excitedly saying the book's here, it looks great. And I went, oh yeah, cool. And I felt sort of nothing. And then I got home from work and I was on my own with the book and it was like it was staring at me. So I so I vacuumed the house and I started dusting, you know, at six o'clock at night and left it for about an hour and a half before I could even, and I felt quite sick. Uh, Scott Walker's never heard one of his own albums. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh... And I, you actually believe that with him. You know, oh, I think I, you know absolutely. everyone who says don't read the comments or don't read the reviews. You know they have and they do and they're always going to. But I totally believe that with him. Mm. He might read the reviews. I think John Daniel from the Mountain Goats uh, said, you know, there are two kinds of uh, writers: uh, mm. uh, those uh, those that read their review uh, don't. Uh, sorry, those who read their reviews mm. uh, and those who lie about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but I would agree. I think Scott Walker is uh, mm. probably an exception. Mm-mm. So I guess the the part two to that question that I asked you that you pose in your book is that a good way to start an interview? Would you do? Would you actually interview a person and ask them that, or is that, or do you think that's what you're trying to find out through a series of other questions ultimately? Well, the quote, yeah, the quote <laughs> from Simone mm. Vai mm. is that, that, and it's from Waiting on God, mm. is that the only yeah, the only question worth asking yeah. uh, is is what are you going through now? Um, she, um, we, we probably we could talk about Simone Vai for for hours, but um, she has a thing about friendship being the purest and most godly form of love, um, and uh, that the essence of that, what makes it godly, is attention. Um, and that the only attention uh, that's worthwhile is on, um, uh, you know, um, the uh, anguishes mm, mm. Uh, that others experience. This brings us together, um, and I think the the best art interrogates us in a similar uh, fashion, mm. uh, and that perhaps that says something. 
uh, not only about why Leonard Cohen likes that quote, but why I like Leonard Cohen. Mm, mm. Well, we probably are going to talk about Leonard Cohen for if not hours, then then hour. Um, but before we we do that, I guess um, you know, I, as I said, I've I've just met you, and that strikes me as quite odd because. We've both lived in Wellington for a long time. I've lived here for nearly 25 years. You've lived here for all of that, well, most of that period and for longer. And we're both kind of in the same game, or have been, circling each other in a way. We're both writers that have covered a lot of similar things. So, and then you came into the house and said, I've seen you play, I've seen you, I've seen you in concert. I saw you play the drums and I thought, oh fuck, here we go. But that's the, we've only just met now. So I need to, I know some of your work. I've read a lot of your work. I know about other books of yours and we'll reference some of those and some of those I have not read. But I want to get some sense of where you, I've obviously just got some sense of where you come from and where you're going and what you're thinking about in your new book, Book of Cohen. And we will talk about that at length. But let's get into how it all started for you and um, and who you are and why you're doing this. You describe yourself as a, a high school dropout that became a journalist. Uh, the, that's an entirely accurate uh, <laughs> description. I went to eight high schools, uh, mostly in the Wellington area, but not exclusively, uh, including the old Ipuni Boys Home School, mm. um, which probably left the deepest impression on me. I left school when I was 15, mm. uh, and I was not, uh, I didn't go back into, I, I didn't step foot in academe um, until about 20 years ago when I uh, started writing about higher education uh, for The Guardian in Britain, mm. the chronicle of higher education in America uh, for about 15 years in the case of the last one. Uh, uh, so, but up until then, um, I really followed G.K. Chesterton's mm. uh, dictum that you should never let education get in the way of your career. Um, so I, uh, you know, left left um, left school and got into the low wage economy. I suppose you would call it <laughs> just labouring and gardening and mm. what have you. Um, in my late teens. Um, I sort of parlayed my enthusiasm uh, for music um, and my interest in reading. So our interests mm. are similar, mm. re reading and sound, mm. uh, uh, into what then was a sort of semi-viable career, which was writing about music for newspapers mm. uh, and other media. And you could, you could sort of do that in the 80s. Uh, and I yeah, began, uh, I wrote a column, a pretty dreadful column, but a weekly column in the mm. old New Zealand Times, which became the Dominion Sunday Times, is now the Sunday Star Times. Uh, worked for the Dominion newspaper here in Wellington. Then I was a staff writer at the Evening Post. Um, I won't go through each step mm, in my mm, career, mm. but the, the, the point is that, that that's where I started. That's your foundation. Became an arts writer, yeah. a reporter, learnt yeah. on the job. That was the other thing you could do then. You could walk into a newsroom, be hired by a newspaper, uh, and learn on the job. Now, you know, I, I did my version of a similar thing in that, in that, you know, I became a writer for the Evening Post many years on from there 
as an untrained enthusiast. Um, and when I was doing it, you know, you might you might occasionally get a phone interview with someone um, mildly interesting, but probably not that interesting. But you basically reviewed gigs and albums. But but you had some encounters with some people. You know, it's worth mentioning. You 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 sat across from. Uh, people either backstage at their show or at the hotel the day before or after and actually sat down with, I get famous people for want of a description. I suppose so, yeah. And the, 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 one of the fortunate things about being, you know, mm. having hit 50 mm. is that um, it, it's, it's long, it's sufficiently long <laughs> ago that a yeah. number of these people have now become famous or they're, dis- or mm. they're no longer with us. Mm. So, you know, whether it's Audrey Hepburn's or the Miles Davises or, mm, mm. Um, uh, you know, um, Bob Dylan's or whoever. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, Yo, you're talking about some big, even, even people like, oh, well, I want to say even people, mm. someone like Michael Stipe is is an important figure for a lot of sure. people. Sure, and when I, when and I, you spent, got him, I spent an afternoon with him when, you know, they, they had just done the Green Album. So they were just on the cusp of being taken... Right towards their stadium career, which and is really st- what defined them. Yeah. Right, and yeah. were, at that stage they were like lean and moody mm. boys from mm. Athens, Georgia. Uh, then they became super famous, mm. and, and, and then after that they became a band that nobody could listen to anymore. But <laughs> they were just about to, you know, do, mm. do out mm. of time. And yeah, 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 and, and go really, really big. And... and uh, and you and do you want to do you want to share the U two story because that's kind of cool. And well, that's part I, of that. Well, I was a feature writer for the Evening Post, and uh, I, I actually quite consciously tried not to write about music mm. after a few years because um, people who stay on as music writers start to look very strange. Yeah. Uh, no, no, correct. No, no, you're right. Present company accepted. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get out of it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, 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 you've just got to. Yeah. Uh, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, um, but 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 it's good to do some music. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so when you two rolled through town in 1989, I sort of did this retrospective piece on on the group. Uh, you know, going from boy in October mm. through to war and rattle and ho hum <laughs> and in uh, Joshua Tree, which mm. I hated. And so, did you like some of those? I guess them and their lean mean days, like boy in October. Was were they of any interest to you at the time? Well, they were never lean and moody like no. like, like Michael Stipe. I mean, there was a, there was more calculation. Yeah, yeah. There. Uh, but the music is more sinewy and muscular. Than, I was the, than, yeah, and Steve yeah, Willie Whitehead. Yeah, that, that, that sort of. Well, actually, it was bombastic. It, it, it was quite. And then Eno and Lanoir slimmed it down. Yeah, stretched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and gave it depth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in a way, you two um, aced it not so much on the strength of those earlier songs mm. because they hardly even p- would perform any of them. Yeah, yeah. But because Lanois and Eno were very sophisticated producers uh, and gave them actually a richness they didn't mm. deserve. Anyway, mm, blah, blah, mm. blah. I did this page piece in the Evening Post and it was sort of dismissive of the band, particularly Rattle and Ho-Hum, mm. which was, you know... <laughs> 
one of the first cases of sort of cultural appropriation. You know, yeah, though yeah, yeah. But Paul Houston is the, yeah. black, the black black man. And play the edge blues. Yeah, yeah play, play the blues yeah, edge. Yeah, 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 one of the most embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excruciating moments. Yeah. Recording music. And then, uh, the guitar, and, and then and the guitar solo is too. Guitar solo, which red for guitar solo. Yeah. And um, in Joshua Tree, notwithstanding Lanois and Eno's skills, um, I said in the review, and this is mm. relevant, that um, I said that the rules, and I'm going from memory here, but the rules in music and art. Um, are the same as having sex, is, is lovemaking. So it's climax, it, it, it's, it's, it's um, tension, climax, resolve. Yeah. You need those three things in a song. Mm. And you actually need the three if you're making love. Mm. Um, I'm not an expert on either, but I do know that, uh, <laughs> that, that well. And I said the problem with Joshua Tree is that it, it, it just doesn't, there's no resolution. Mm. There, there, there's, you know, song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He doesn't find what he's looking for. It goes on and on and on. And so I wrote this astoundingly 40,000, whatever, 45,000 people at the old athletic park mm. to turn up the, the next night. And uh, halfway through the concert, uh, Paul Hewson um, reads the review <laughs> on stage. Uh, you know, some have said uh, to climax, tension, resolve. <laughs> I, you know, we're a band from Dublin, and uh, oh, it, he, he was very. Uh, he uh, was dismissive of how dismissive he, you. He were. was dismissive, and yeah. the you know, and the crowd clapped along mm, as mm. if I just committed ethnogenocide. Yeah, because that. They're there because they're fans. But hey, it was a good dinner party. Uh, <laughs> yeah, story, what, what right? is, for me. Well, exactly. I mean, that's why I wanted you to tell it because it's it's like I mean, at that time, <laughs> even now, it's fascinating. But at that time, that must have been quite a moment for you. Uh, it happened much. It, it it used to happen much more. Mm. I remember uh, Simple Minds. Uh, they were on the Amnesty International tour. They did two shows here in Wellington, and. Um, I said that in the review in the Dominion that it was fitting uh, that Simple Minds were doing an Amnesty International tour because Jim Kerr was a prisoner of musical conscience <laughs> looking for a key to get out. Uh, something, a yeah, play yeah. on words on bars and yeah. keys. And, um, and the, then the next night he went apeshit wow. in the Wellington Town Hall. Wow. Uh, and there was uh, somebody I won't mention who mm. actually called me and threatened to burn my house down. So uh, I didn't own a house, fortunately. Mm. Uh, he's still doing, um, doing the circuit. <laughs> so I think then, before the advent of social media uh, and TripAdvisor and mm. this current era where everyone's a critic. Yeah. Uh, and people still get upset, but it's sort of moved away from music now. Mm. Uh, people don't get quite as worked up uh, mm. because mm. there isn't just well, they've got to spread. Guy. They've got to spread their outrage. They've got to yeah. spread out exactly. Yeah, yeah, and they can be. And if they didn't know enough or felt they didn't felt they didn't have 
the right stuff to complain about a music critic, they could they can now get angry at food critics and you know whatever anything else because because everything's available for them to comment on so they can choose the thing that they have the most expertise about mm. and identity crime has become a really big deal and so you have pylons about mm. that mm. in a way that may have once happened if you said yeah you two are shit mm. say say if mm. you wrote a very mm. Then you would. I mean, once at Wellington newspapers, I'll stop all these old mm, war stories, mm. but um, a crowd of uh, Cliff Richard fans stormed in the office yeah. and surrounded me. <laughs> uh, they, they were all women, yeah. except for one husband, I think, who got yeah. dragged along. The bus and, they, and they had Cliff Richard t shirts. Mm. Uh, and they were oh, I mean, my, I guess my version of that was the Donny Osmond fans, you know, who didn't who didn't turn up in person, but wrote so many letters to the editor complaining about my review of Donny Osmond about whatever 13, 14 years ago, that the editor felt compelled to send me a, an envelope full of these typed out letters and say please explain yourself like we like to back our critics but the number of letters suggest that you might have got this massively wrong can you please just tell me what you were thinking so so my point just being like it's always the kind of lamest <laughs> things the mo- what you think is probably a pretty innocuous sort of musical act that tends to have the the fiercest fans absolutely I mean we just had 660 just sold out 50,000 people at Western Springs and now we're all supposed to be like you know, I wonder if they went to a whole lot of food critics and said well, you've got to please change your view on the McDonald's cheeseburger because it's sold so many it's a bit like that, I'm being, and I got an email yesterday from someone sending me a link to my own work about 660, which I don't need because I remember what I wrote, saying, you wrote this in 2012 uh, and look where they are now and um what are you up to, you hopeless cocksmoker? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fraught line of work. Mm. Uh, and it's made all the more fraught for the fact that most music critics, um, particularly during the years when, as I say, it was semi-viable, mm. uh, tend to be musically illiterate. So mm-hmm. we would home in on lyrics and culture yeah. and fans um, uh, and knowledge of back catalogues. Mm, mm. Uh, so it, it's it's a it was always a peculiar um, discipline, but mm. I'm pleased I did it. And you, so you didn't, and you clearly didn't kill your. You got out at the right time in that, hopefully, and that you didn't kill your love of music. Or you you, you possibly felt it strained by the sounds at times, but you didn't actually kill your love of music, which has always been my my kind of concern around me getting out. Suzanne, uh, uh, Susan Sontag uh, uh, says, analysis is the intellect's revenge on art. Mm. Uh, and I've thought about that. I thought about that a hundred times mm. when I was writing about music or with a little flash pen near the stage <laughs> while New Order was doing Blue Monday. Uh, writing down a few adjectives mm. and, and descriptions of, mm. you know, what Bernard's summer was wearing. Um, 
uh, there is something, um, uh, there is a tension between analysis and aesthetic enjoyment. Mm, mm. So it, it strikes me talking to you, I, th I thought this just before you came around and you know I started with that whole, um, what are you going through right now? And I feel like actually um, every book that you've written is an attempt to answer that question, right? Like, it's basically you, the subjects that you choose and the time when you choose to write about them are because of a whole lot of other things going on in your life and, and or things that have happened that have come back up and you've decided to afford them some time. Even I'm thinking even the Greatest Hits collection was a, was a mark in time. It was a quarter century thing hmm. of it's time to put up a flag and say... Here it all is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's a good good observation. My wife says something very similar. Um, uh, that that and, and in fact the blurb on the random house or penguin side about me also says something similar. I suppose I just reach out have reached out into whatever my current experience is mm. and and have, and I've tried to write about that in order to clarify mm. clarify it in my head. So when uh, my second boy was born, and he was diagnosed as uh, classically autistic, um, which means heavy-duty autism. Right. Uh, so, so I wrote a book about it. And I went around the world meeting people who specialised in, in um, that neurological mm. uh, disorder. Um, and similarly, the uh, the book on residential childcare had me reaching back into my own teen years, mm. uh, and just to make it interesting, I put a lot of boxing in it as well because I used to really follow that mm. avidly. Mm. Um, uh, similarly, with the book of Cohen, clearly, mm. it's uh, mm. it's, it's going to go. It, it's it's it's. Um, uh, hall of hall of mirrors stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for yes, the it's, author, it's yeah, it's a a kind of set of lifelong preoccupations. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah, you know that that are that are all, if not talking to each other, they're being shuffled onto the stage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to mix all sorts of metaphors there, but you know, for 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 you and the reader to examine and go. Mm. Oh, What's happening here? Why are we? Why are we? Why does he want us to look at these things? And why does right. he want to look at? But these it must things? be the same with with anyone who writes. I think. Yeah. Uh, books. I mean, I, again, I don't want to make yeah you know, asinine <laughs> comparisons because I'm going to mention Philip Roth. Yeah. Uh, uh, who I think you know was the great the great American novelist, but you look at the themes in his work, uh, Jewishness. Yeah. Uh, uh, post-war, the the Eastern Seaboard in the post-war, the nature of writing and memory, mm. um, uh, academe. You know, he wrote wrote, mm. wrote books about Randy professors. Mm. Um, it's pretty easy to see something, or you know, autobiographical mm. going on. Mm, mm. Uh, so, uh, but 
And we're because, not allowed because to. Because what? what how, where else are we going to get? We're not supposed to mention them these days, but Woody Allen was obviously another example of that. that just lifelong preoccupations going through. Yes. All the work. Yes. And, and recurring and themes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. And uh, things on things. Right. Right. So yeah. It, or, or yeah, it it was like the the he only ever made one one movie, mm. and then. So each time you went to it, this, that one movie was always a little bit different. Mm. But it was, it was Woody Allen. Mm. Um, uh, so I don't belong to any American Jewish tradition, but I think I think there is uh, mm. uh, so, something in that. And if we went through New Zealand authors, uh, fiction and non-fiction, we mm. would find compelling personal reasons. Mm, mm. And if there weren't compelling personal reasons you'd have to wonder why they did it mm. yeah so go back to i mean you know you you're a writer and a reader go back to when you when's the moment when you feel like or know that you've got a book in you or that a particular subject is right for a book treatment like when do you when do you first, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, when do you first see yourself as extending beyond the newspaper page to committing to a full book, and how soon after that does that happen? I don't know if there's a moment when you right. know. I mean, you know if it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, but there's no. But beyond that, I don't think there's any moment. I mentioned self-loathing before. Because mm. um, I'm a great believer in the work, in, in the work ethic. I don't believe in inspiration. Mm. I, I just believe you get up, you do it. Um, I don't believe in writer's block. Yeah, um, and that's Woody Allen again, and Nick yeah. Cave, and yeah. lots and of people come there and Cohen. Yeah. 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 yeah, do the work. Yeah, and yeah. even when yeah, you, you know, um, so Astor wins, Van yeah. Morris, right? So everyone, almost everyone, every good rock crew has gone through a phase where they just listen to this yes. guy walk up to a microphone and, you know, yeah. Madame George and Cypress Seven, and the way he flings his voice around and um, someone, I think it was me actually, once he, you know, Miles Davis makes, makes the instrument sound like a voice. Van Morrison makes the voice sound like an instrument. Mm, mm. Um, anyway, the, the reason for mentioning that is that uh, um, because he has he practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and lived and breathed it when he grew up in Ulster, that's why when he was 22, he could get behind the microphone. Ulster with his revivalist, you know, religiosity, with its... Uh, incredible music scene mm. uh, in Belfast um, so yeah when he was 22 he could get up and make it seem really interesting uh, I mean like miraculously mm. great the point being that he had spent the previous 21 years yeah. working at it yeah. um, so the whole idea of, uh, of the soul singer the the the, or the, the stream of consciousness rider um, or the drop dead drunk Hunter S. Thompson yeah, yeah. style who can just churn out maybe yeah. geniuses can do yeah, yeah. that but 99.9% but .9 of us are nothing of the kind well you know and, and the you know I know there were other bands that did, that did this too but you know when people bring up the 
the, and I'm being careful to not trigger you here, I guess, but when people bring up the Beatles and say, why them rather than someone else, part of the answer is, has to be, on some level, that they did actually do the yards. Like, the Hamburg story is an important part of the Beatles story, and then, do, you know, that the, the thing that came out a few years ago, the 10,000 hours thing, like, that that is their version of the 10,000 hours. You mean the Nick Cave? Um, yeah, I'm saying the Beatles in Hamburg. That's the yeah, that's their version of doing you know that doing doing the major apprenticeship, mm. like becoming the expert for doing the becoming expert in what they've chosen to do because simply through doing it, through doing it hard. Yeah. Possibly Dylan was an exception. Yeah, because we know that he was in the studio doing Blonde on Blonde and would write. And I interviewed Robbie Robertson about this years ago, and he would rattle out those songs mm. in minutes mm. uh, so so maybe he's some kind of genius that, because he's the only exception I can think of uh, but, he, but even he has a lot of material that sounds like it was just whacked out in a Tossed few off. minutes and it's, yeah. and it's worth as much yeah 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 he also has I mean I guess when it comes down to it lots of people have this but he does at least have the the story of playing rock and roll for a long time in bands in high school and stuff too there is that like Absolutely. so there is mechanically like in terms of his writing yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure where that's come from entirely there are, but in terms of his actual acumen mm. as a player you know yeah there is that yeah i think you'd have to find that that there would have to be that reservoir. runs on the board yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly so i mean Let's get into the Cohen book because uh, we could talk about any any of your books for for some time. But obviously, this is the book that you that you've just finished and that I've read. I've I've, I've read an early copy of it, and um, and I guess the simple answer around it, or not so simple answer, is that this is a, of all your books, this is the the book that in some ways has been with you the longest in terms of an internal gestation period. Mm. Because it strikes me as a, the book struck me as a, a, an interesting entwined set of ruminations. Mm. Yeah, and, and which is hinted at in the in the title. Mm, mm. Um, it, you know, clearly is a Cohen-esque device yes. calling, putting out something called Book of Longing or yeah, yeah. Book of Memory. That's yeah. Paul Oster. Uh, or, or but, but and it's also. Um, there's a biblical, you know, feel to that, mm. uh, and I'm really interested in religion in a global sense. Yeah. Um, uh, and but then, even and then there's then there's the song titles for the chapters, and then each of those has almost like a little running track list. Yeah. Of bullet points of what's coming up in the chapter, and that almost plays like a little. Yeah. Like a little track list for it. Yes. And of course, it's also an old-fashioned yes. device. You know, if you yeah. read Arthur Kessler yeah, yeah. Uh, on Palestine, for instance, each chapter will begin with those mm. little mm. Um, uh, things. Uh, the, the other um, the um, illusion being made by Book of Cohen uh, is... Uh, if Book of Cohen is, is, to, is to the name... Uh, you know, it it does circle around mm-hmm. this question of who Cohen's are, which actually is quite a big deal in in the in the Jewish tradition. Uh, 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 
and I can explain why in a moment. But mm, mm. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it, um, yeah. Well, I, I guess I wondered who you kind of sought to investigate and memorialise first, your, yourself and your family, or Leonard Cohen, because it's that's sort of. In a crude sense, that's the job share that's going on with this It's book. a job share, yeah. So it's one uh, not-so-famous, decidedly <laughs> unfamous Cohen, yeah. that's me. Uh, who, Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> uh, who is looking at at a extraordinarily yeah. famous and accomplished yeah. Cohen. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and it's, it's uh, you know, the writer is understanding and sharing about himself mm. through... Meditating, and the, the, these are fourteen late night meditations, mm. uh, set in different places and set mm. in different times, uh, but by one Cohen on another. Oh, yeah, they're like little little essays that um, that, that talk to one another and that, that um, spring off in different ways, but essentially they've all taken the central theme as their point. So they're extrapolations. Because I've lived most of my life. Uh, to the backbeat of Leonard Cohen. Mm. Um, uh, my father was a, a fan of his writing. Uh, I discovered Leonard Cohen through uh, through one book in particular of his, uh, my father's, uh, The Favourite Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a teenager, um, I was in foster care, and my foster brother introduced me to um, uh, Avalanche, which I still think, you know, is my favourite Lena Cohen right. song. Uh, sort of explains and validates mm. all kinds of interesting things. Uh, when I began in music writing, uh, Lena Co- Various Positions was one of the first albums I reviewed. Uh, it didn't review it very well, mm. not, not very lucidly, but mm. it was there. In my relationships, uh, chaotic and uh, conventional, I like Leonard Cohen always seemed to be somewhere mm. his, his his music mm. uh, um, when I visited places uh, Montreal obvious New York went to the Chelsea Hotel mm. Mm. Uh, the Middle East I went to Israel Israel if you called Cohen Israel will be a big deal one way or another you'll have to get wrap your head around mm. it uh, so all these points um, are commonalities. I, I was not straining for effect, mm. and I wanted to write to the best of my ability around around uh, the, those and others. Yeah, and it it, um, it works because of your fandom and your and your personal story and the shared name. But it but it works as a um, I think as an example of how. I don't know if you're going for this at all, but how, yeah, the fun reads that a lot of us like are when you realise how essentially disparate things are completely and utterly connected. What do you mean? Well, I just 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 that you can, you know, you, I like in your writing and particularly in this book, but but I've, I think it comes up in a lot of your writing that you will just change tack in the middle of an essay and be writing about something else entirely and then I will get through it and go oh you're not writing about something else entirely you're actually writing about the original subject but you've just oh, a lot of digressions yeah yeah that's yeah, right I like you've the, just, I'm you've, quite digressive kind of guy yeah. I like late night 
Yeah, so they have that, exactly, they have that, like, like I, you know, you mentioned it a couple of times but in this book, but I can picture you with a glass of wine, you know, and the music on or whatever, like, and just, and just sort of setting your version of the world to rights. Thank you. I like digressions. I'm a real fan of them. Uh, and they're a bit like, you know, guitar solos, although I actually <laughs> don't like guitar solos, but... Mm. Uh, it's the same thing. So, like in the book... You don't have a voice in your head saying, play the blues, David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you need to, you know, do, do this because subjects can just start to become overwhelming mm. uh, and you have to throw something else in there uh, to, to keep your reader's attention. And also you should be trusting your reader Mm-mm. that your reader doesn't suffer from cognitive dissonance <laughs> that they will stick with you mm. uh, in for instance uh, a chapter where you're looking at uh, the fact that Lena Cohen was something of a control freak mm. uh, for, for, for very explainable reasons mm. but in his relationships and he wrote as much he was a man who absolutely had to have control mm. um, absolute control over every living soul <laughs> Uh, and so in, in uh, ruminating your word on that, uh, so I throw in uh, a, a story that I just happen to love about Dostoevsky and how he proposed mm. to his young wife and how it was a really powerless relationship with both through surrender, giving to each other. And then we come back to Lena Cohen. Mm. Um, but I just like that story mm. and I've waited all my life to, <laughs> to put that in a yeah, book yeah, 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 and and in fact, that that kind of comes across actually that there are you know, in as much as you've already written a book called Greatest Hits, that some of your greatest hits that have been swirling in your mind are in this book. I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, well yeah, it, it's or greatest it, bits, perhaps. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah. greatest bits might be a yeah. better thing to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there is a a, a, a sense of. You know, you know, mm. old thoughts, mm. old ideas, mm. bringing mm. them in, old ideas. Yeah, you know, throwing <laughs> them, at, uh, throwing them at the canvas, mm. Mm. Uh, and hoping for the best. I'm interested that a favourite game was the book. Cause that I feel like that's not the most referenced Lennon Cohen work. And like, out of, even out of the box, you know, people are gonna say that they were turned on by Beautiful Losers more likely, right? Beautiful Losers uh, has the advantage of having become a cliche. Yes. Uh, so that's easier to remember. Mm. Uh, and um, but we have to remember uh, with, with with my father Lionel, another mm. Al Cohen. Mm. Uh, the, he bought Beautiful Losers in Montreal, and when, when it came out, and he bought it with him to New Zealand. And when he left New Zealand, he left, left the book. Uh, when did Beautiful Losers come out? I feel like it's 64. I think it may be 66. Yeah, right. 62 favourite games, 61, 62. 63 favourite games. Yeah, right. So it was a chronology yeah, then as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, favourite game, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, I recall it as a radiantly vulgar book. Uh, and it had a lot to do with fathers and sons, and I found that very interesting. Yeah. Since that's quite a big deal for me. Mm. Um, but the actual literary quality of the book was never that important uh, uh, for me. Um, but the actual reason why it happened to be that book probably was the time. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, rather than anything else. My favourite Leonard Cohen book actually is Book of Longing. Right, right. Mine is uh, Stranger Music, the big book of lyrics, in that, that like, I guess that's one thing I, uh, that's my version of your story is I knew some Leonard Cohen before I got that, but that was what made me a fan, like just taking on board this sheer amount of, I guess, quality writing, because there's poems in there and lyrics, and even some excerpts from the novels. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a, a printed word, Greatest Hits. What's your favourite Leonard Cohen album? Well, I was just going to ask you that, okay. um, and so do you want me to answer no, first? No, you show me yours. I'll yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know, I th- and I think, I think I just saw you say something about how you, you, you don't rate it, or maybe it was in the book, but um, the one I like the most at the moment is recent songs, because I think it's the one I've given the least attention to. Mm. Um, it's hard to pick a favourite. I find it hard with people like that that have quite a nice-sized, finite catalogue, because it's sort of like you can... You can speak to almost each one of them. I mean, obviously, our correct answer is saying Songs of Leonard Cohen is mm. a perfectly imperfect album mm. to pull you in. I think he went out on as high a note as you could possibly go. I think, you know, the final record is amazing. I actually think the one just before that was pretty good. And even Old Ideas is, has a charm, Why so I think that's a, a strong final one. I don't know, I was, I was a big fan of, I was a really big fan of 10 new songs. And I was a really big fan. So was Gordon Kelly. Yeah, and I was a really big fan of the future. And I think, I think probably I should say the future because it's probably the one I've listened to the most. Mm. And that's always a good. Mm. Yeah. Okay, you're you're hedging your bets. I'm totally hedging. I wondered if Songs of Love and Hate wasn't was super important to you since you mentioned Avalanche. Well, again, first impressions. Mm. Yeah, mm. first album cut is the mm. deepest. Mm. Uh, and Avalanche is just a. Majestic, beautiful, terrible mm. in the biblical sense, mm-hmm. transcendental work. I, I, you, you know, listening to that is like listening to Scott Walker's yeah. Tilt or something. You just know he's never going to take it any further. Mm-hmm. No, no one can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a real goosebump um, thing. I like um, Songs of Love and Hate. I, I love that record. Uh, if I had to pick. And, you know, an mm. album. I, I suppose I would do a, a, a sweetman here, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I could actually go for a trilogy. And mm. I think of them as this Lurianic trilogy: various positions, uh, I'm your man, mm. and the future, and the future. Yeah, where yeah. Really, where it really is the catastrophe of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that he's he's laying out there. They're all deeply uh, religious. Um, mm. And I keep on using the word religious because I hate the word spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an absolutely non-spiritual person. Uh, don't have a spiritual bone in my body. Um, uh, but it, it, in, in spiritual is uh, it's it's um, insincere. Uh, but, but these are profoundly religious albums. Hearing you describe Avalanche makes me think. You know, and, I'm, and I'd known that it was in his repertoire long before I saw him do it recently. But, yeah, I mean, it's about as Nick Cave as a Leonard Cohen song can get, right? Like, you can, in that, you can see why he would. He'd be pulled in by that, perhaps for much the same reasons that you were. Uh, totally. Uh, and uh, Paul Morris, uh, an emer- now an emeritus professor of religious studies at 
Victoria University tells the same story. He talks about being at the Albert Hall in uh, London in 73 or something. And, you know, all was dark and and then uh, at a very high volume, mm. uh, um, the, those plucky strings, mm. uh, guitar strings, mm. um, announce, you know, the arrival yeah. of the avalanche. Yeah. And Paul was, was buried. And he's a very... Uh, kind of sober guy mm. in his descriptions uh, in, in precise and he said he, he actually couldn't remember most of the rest of the concert he, he was mm. just devastated um, it's a Nick Cave in rural, uh, provincial Australia yeah. it's, he, he talked about it, it entered his blood like heroin mm. uh, uh, it, it pinned him to the floor put him under the table, mm. whatever yeah yeah uh, and, um, and and plainly has defined his career uh, since Le- Nick Cave is r- really just the Lenin. He, he is the heir apparent, mm. uh, and what he's doing right now, uh, question and answer sessions aside, is um, he he uh, twenty or fifteen years earlier than Lenin Cohen. He, he really is having a, 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 a later career sprint. Mm. It really is very similar to Cohen's. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and I was interested to hear you say, I think it was in an interview that you did, maybe did with Jesse Mulligan, but you, you never went and saw Leonard Cohen. No. Which I loved. I loved your sort of reasoning for that. I thought, is that because you're, uh, I mean, you can, tell, you can talk a bit more about this, but is it? do you think that's because you, you are... A purist is that is it a purist intention of yours that you know I couldn't see him when I because I, I love that what you basically said was like when, you know I couldn't see him when I would have liked to I would have liked to have seen him in 1973 but then that wasn't actually available to me and and I've had that sort of thought about a lot of artists and then and then probably because of my role I've ended up going along to them anyway and wished that I hadn't. Like, really wished, you know. I think... Occasionally, like, I guess the, the prime example for me was B.B. King. I went and saw him in 2011 or whatever what was it was. Like? Well, I liked it a lot more than some people because I, I had... I knew that he was not well and I knew that I was basically going to pay my respects or something. So I knew what I was getting myself in for. Some people thought that he should have got up and miraculously turned into BB King from 1960 or even 1989 when he was here with U2 and that was not going to happen. So yeah, in a perfect world I would love to have seen BB King in 1960 or even 1980 or even 2000 when, when I could have actually seen him. But I couldn't. He was available to me then and it meant enough. Hey, shh. <laughs> it was available to me then and it meant enough that I wanted to go. So... I can justify it, but if I'm honest, maybe it was a wasted trip also. Yeah, I think uh, um, music reviewing, uh, which I did in my early twenty, early to mid-twenties, but back in the uh, era when mm. that meant 50 reviews a year, every mm. week, mm. And, and sometimes more than one. Um, and, and hey, shush. The old... <laughs> We're joined by a critic now. Uh, <laughs> um, 
goes back to that Sontag remark, analysis mm, is the yeah. intellect's revenge. I love that. Art. I loved reading that. And I'd heard that before, but, yeah. you know, seen it before, but your, your sort of, the way you place it in the book, it, yeah. it had me thinking about it the whole time. Yeah. yeah. It really, it, it yeah. just, it, it, it actually put me off. Mm. Um, quite aside from being a rock snob, it mm. really put me off shows for a long time. Mm. I just, uh, um, yeah, that they became distasteful, mm. uh, and it probably um, I saw Buck sixty five um, ten years ago or something, and that mm. that was the first time in twenty years I really enjoyed a show. So part of the thing about Cohen, yeah, was uh, was timing. Yeah, yes, I would have preferred to have seen him doing yeah. various positions or the future. Yeah, or I'm your man, but um, uh, so there was that, and yes. There was a whole slew of new fans uh, mm. here in the city from yes. know, doc- doctors' wives and yeah, people yeah. who... who uh, <laughs> Which speaks to a snob thing a little bit again, but I... Yeah, I, I am I'm, a reverse snob about I'm, it. I'm on your side with that because it's like sometimes it's about... Not about the artist, it's about the audience and the audience can really ruin it. I, it, it, it can certainly... Yeah, Audiences it. can... Uh, uh, ru- these are people... 90% of whom, anyway, in my view, were uh, probably a year or two or five years earlier uh, were scoffing at Cohen as music to slit your wrist. Yeah, like, yeah. Which was simply never true. I mean, his music can be intense, mm. um, but I would say its main uh, uh, characteristic was humour. I mean, he pasted humour into virtually mm-hmm. everything. Uh, he he composed. Mm. Um, I've never felt suicidal uh, listening to him. I've never mm. felt depressed, as in I've never felt the effect of depression from his music. Uh, I find it really stimulating. So um, you've got folk who um, in, who would have taken a rather more conventional tack, you know, that he was doomy, mm. two a.m. gloom, and mm. you know. And, and suddenly there were fans because it became the, the thing, thing to like to be at, yeah. So it became the thing for me not to go to Lynn Cohen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he, I um, know, one Simon Sweetman <laughs> said it was the, the most glorious show he had mm, ever seen, mm. uh, and I respect that, and I, mm. I respect your view. And maybe I would have had the same. Maybe I was a coward. I was very. Um, and I'm not always like this with shows. I was very conscious of the mood that seemed to be across the room, and I think that's what I was trying to... That was at the event centre. Right? Yeah, yeah, that there was like a an atmosphere that you could cut. You know, it was... People were hanging on, obviously, every word, as they should be, but also every musical phrase, every bit of banter. The whole thing was... You know, it had a massive religiosity about it and yeah, you and, wrote about that yeah, yeah and, and I guess that's what I was trying to do with that I'm not trying to justify it or anything but but I had the thing that you knew was coming too where I had the exact thing where I went and saw him 15 months later or whatever and left at half time and wish I hadn't gone you know? why? well it was just the same show so how could it be the best show I've ever seen if I had to sit through it again and it was carbon copy like mm. it was and I'm and it's fine some people obviously were happy to go again and, mm. and saying well you don't get to see Leonard Cohen every night so seeing him mm. three times in th- four years is really important to us but I just could not see the point mm. in that 
it wasn't terrible, but mm. I got to the halftime mark and, and I was like, I'm just going to write the same thing again and I'm not going to mean it. So right. I think we'll dash off. So, right. you know. So it was really like a movie that you should see once. <laughs> totally. Yep. Exactly. And, that, and that's exactly it. There are some movies that are infinitely rewatchable mm. and, um, and there are others that they, you know, you should watch them once and, yeah. and, and, and they can be the best movie you've ever seen but yeah. but watching them a second time can yeah. seriously um, dent that yeah I mean one show I would have really have enjoyed seeing was Arthur Lee right doing yeah. uh, Forever Don't, Changes yeah, yeah. but and the point of mentioning that is that I yeah, like everyone I go onto YouTube late mm. at night uh, and have watched various performances from actually mm. what is my favourite album mm. uh, and um, the, the point being that uh, Arthur Lee performed it more or less the same in Amsterdam yes. as he did in in Los Angeles as mm. he did in London. Um, uh, he yeah he was doing a, a rehearsed precise mm. performance of a, a mm. miraculous record. Yeah, and Leonard Cohen was really doing exactly the same. The record mm. of Cohen. Yeah, he was, the greatest hit show. It, it was a greatest hit show. He did it. Yeah, impeccably. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, uh, uh, you, you know, it was choreographed mm. to the nth degree. That's what I say. He's a control freak. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember watching the. I think it's live in London was the first live document of that tour, and I know there was a Dublin one, and there were this started to be quite a few live albums and DVDs, but. I can remember getting sent that live in London to sit and watch and feeling, yeah, that's about as close as I've got to feeling depressed listening to him, was seeing that and just because? going... Because? Because of everything you've just said, just the carbon copy nature. So I wasn't actually <laughs> depressed by it, but just just that's about as close as I... Because yeah, he does, you know, the humour thing is, I love the way you write about that in the book, because that's an important component of, I, I agree, it's like you can... You have some good phrase about how you can see the grin, you know, behind everything, kind mm. of. And it's like that almost becomes part of his sort of dapper, dressed up look with the hat and the suit, too. The Oh, totally. You know, uh, it, but, that he's almost dressed up to deliver the grin yeah. behind what he's delivering. Yeah. 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 So he's an interesting mix, I mean, of artist, sort of psychologist. Mm. Um, but also businessman, mm-hmm. um, and and the word businessman is opposite. I mean, there he yeah. was in '07 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Kelly Lynch has uh, fleeced him. Yeah. So he was looking at a a, a comfortable retirement in in um, in Los Angeles, mm. uh, and also some provision for his son and daughter, mm. uh, Lorca and Adam. Uh, and, and then he realises he's down to his last 15 grand or whatever. Mm. Uh, and it was... Uh, poverty was was looming. Uh, it, that's the only reason he went yeah. went on the road. Um, and given the financial, very understandable mm. financial challenge, mm. uh, he was doing it as a business. Mm. He had lost 15, at least $15 million. Um, and uh, th- that spurred him to perform. No, there's no precedent for, for this in contemporary music. Someone mm. who's ban- disappeared suddenly mm. coming back and doing hugely successful tours. Um, but it was it was always a business 
proposition, and was, therefore there was a business-like attitude. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're his first. I mean, when he starts touring again in two thousand and eight or nine or whatever it is, that's the first time since the early early to mid nineties, isn't it? Mid nineties, the future, like the future. Uh, since the future in ninety four, yeah. ninety five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's that, there's that live album that comes out based around that. That's mm. cool. That one's just called Cohen Live. Mm. And yeah, that's the so it's it's a long stretch. Yeah, right. He sort of dis- I mean, it was a long, long enough stretch between until ten new songs, mm. and that was enough of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he found. He, he, yeah, he, 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 the, the, the the fact that his live shows uh, uh, was so uh, choreographed uh, should hardly be surprising, given how much. Um, um, attention he gave to mm. you know like like hallelujah what 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 it ran to 90, 90 whatever yeah verses uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took him however many years to write uh in a way we we could expect nothing else mm, mm. Uh, but the question is why would i personally who, someone who has uh, related to the art yes. and persona uh, and, and aphorisms and thoughts and conversation of Leonard Cohen, why would I be interested in seeing this? Yeah, it's a bit like that? it's a bit like um, knowing someone uh, for their philosophy and then finding out in the weekend that they can also juggle, so going and watching their juggling show. <laughs> You know, something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you've 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 experienced the you've taken from it what you want to take. Yeah. So going and seeing it live is is, a, is an actual different thing, which mm. he's absolutely allowed to do. Yeah. But you don't need to factor into that. Yeah, and you go to see someone live in a way to commune with them. Yes. To use, to use yeah. a, a word, and I- anyone who's been in this line of work that we've both been in um, knows that one of the worst things you can do. Often is communing with people that you really yes. like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you meet don't them. Don't meet your and, heroes. Yeah, yeah, don't meet your heroes. Yeah. Sometimes you probably shouldn't even see them in concert. Yeah, I think that's Possibly. really true. Have you have you had particularly disastrous sort of situations there with either meeting or watching people you've cared about where you think they've just really let you down as in phoned it in or you've had a really awkward tense interview mm. and you wished you hadn't been put in that position because it's put you off their music or their whatever you know oh I've had the obverse I've yeah had, right uh, uh, like Billy Joel I, mm. I, he had just been to what was then the USSR mm-hmm. uh, and I was really interested because Billy, you know, Billy Joel was one of those American Jewish artists and at the time there the, the were problems Mm. Uh, for Jews in the USSR. And I wanted to ask him about that, but he gave this very short press conference uh, and I didn't have an opportunity. Uh, and uh, anyway, he espied me, This clearly this guy at the back, really trying to mm. get a question in and who couldn't. And so I was leaving the Hyatt or whatever it was in Auckland and... Uh, you know, a quarter of an hour later, walked through the bar, and he was there with Chrissy Brinkley, uh, his then wife, and he and he rolled out smoking a camel as he did then, uh, waved me and said, "Sorry, you couldn't, you know, ask the question. Wow. Come, yeah. come and sit down." So I ended up doing this 
uh, fabulous one hour plus interview with him. Uh, and then he invited me to uh, um, sit on stage with him in both Auckland and Wellington. So there was Chrissy, there was me, and there was little Alexa or Alexia, yeah, yeah. who's now some glorious model. Yeah. Um, but right behind him in the wings. I sound like a fanboy. I'm not a huge Billy Joel yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was um, that, that coming at the question from another direction. Mm, mm, that was someone who mm. I didn't care about his music. Yeah. Uh, I still don't care about his music. I respect it more than yeah, I yeah, used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're surprised by what a yeah. terrific chap. Yeah, well, there's a real generosity there, because, uh, like, uh, outside of the welcoming you onto the stage, even just calling you over for the question, because these people get bugged by idiots asking dumb questions, and then that, and he's allotted a time for it, and he's allocated the time, and that's been and gone. So All the time. Shows he was actually connected. He saw you wanting to engage with him about something, or whatever, or Just he just picked up. That shows he gives a shit, right? Yeah. So that's instantly, you know, that's instantly... Uh, rewarding for you and of and of interest. Yeah, I've heard people say I haven't had the experience myself that Van Morrison was who we were talking about before mm. was not someone you would want to interview. No, him and Lou Reed are the kind of uh, and Reed. That were. I absolutely <laughs> had I been offered a mm. uh, a thing with Lou Reed, I most certainly wouldn't have. Yeah, same. I always said that. Not not that it ever came close to happening, but I was such a fan of his as a teenager. So then when I got into writing, I had. You know, friends would say, oh, I bet you want to interview Lou Reed. Mm. You know, would you like to do that once I've interviewed some people? It was like, I never want to talk to him. He was just a mean drunk. Yeah. Uh, and he got meaner as he kept, uh, yeah. you know, was, was, was putting out worse. And worse well, Sylvie Simmons had his number, the piece that she wrote about him quite quite late in his career, like, you know, 10 oh. or so years ago. Mm. Yeah, I'll send you a link to it. That is a fascinating piece. She, she just liked? uh She did not. No, she, she was treated really badly by him. Just classic sort of silly bully tactics, mm. just thinking, you know, she wasn't important and didn't know anything, and she could talk through his whole career with him, mm. but he just kept cutting her off mm. and showing, trying to show he was in control and he wasn't interested and that he was aloof, but she just writes it up in such a great way that she exposes him as a, as a bully and a sad, mm. silly man. And does a really, really good sort of summary of why some people do still care about him. It's, it's kind um, of respectful. Now, now, Cohen, I would have enjoyed interviewing mm. uh, because I, I think he did a fabulous line in interviewing, and he was very nimble. Uh, his, uh, his, his sensual, um, surprising, the mm. poetic use mm. of language worked very well in that context. Uh, and everything I've seen of him suggests he would have been... Um, Did you get close at all to that happening? Was it probably not? No. Because when you were writing about music, those were his non-touring years, basically, certainly mm. not New Zealand. And, yeah. Yeah so. yeah. so it has to be said about this book, um, you know, there, the, and as I've been mentioning these past few days in, in a mm. few interviews I've done, um, there's an enormous amount of activity around the memory of Leonard Cohen right mm. now. Mm. Uh, there, there are oral histories. Uh, there, there are. There's a book of sheet music is coming out in mm, March, mm. I think. Uh, the, the the last book of poems just came uh, out. The flame. Yeah. Uh, 
um, drawings and, and, and apparently actually the, 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 there more. may be another album <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah. the works uh, there are memoirs almost mm. without end mm. uh, in light of all that and more uh, I had to think now I'm in New Zealand mm. I can't compare with someone who's interviewed 486 people mm. in the state of California or Quebec. If I've got something to throw in here, um, I, I'm not going to be able to compete mm. on, uh, for interviews or background research. Mm. One thing I can write about, I can play on Cohen. I, think I can write an interesting, hopefully, slim book mm. about, uh, you know, uh, along the lines of the schema that the book mm. has. And I think. Uh, it's not only a distinctive to to where we're, we're living. Um, but yeah, it's quite nice. Uh, Cohen's last show was here in mm. uh, 2013, December, I think. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to have uh, the opportunity to uh, you know give a bow from from the antipodes. Mm. Mm. Did you? I mean, you mentioned like, did you like Sylvie's book? Do you think that's the standout biography or, or one of? I, 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 or do you not read those? I, I, I barely read them. Right. Uh, there's, uh, there's a biography called Various Positions, mm -hmm. which came out in the 90s. Yeah, I remember uh, that one. Uh, and there are a couple of others. Mm. Um, I sort of dipped into them, but uh, I, I do think Sylvie Simmons's book is, yeah. uh, I won't say definitive, but it's... Yeah, for, for, she got it right. She, she got it right. It's yeah. justly... Yeah. Uh, Praised yeah, and you, you yeah, know yeah. The, the the subject applauded it. I I've heard no serious criticism. Yeah, of it. yeah. Um, I you know no, no doubt if she had had another ten years, she would have it would have been two volumes or mm, whatever. Mm, mm. Um, so, but I really because um, what what I've done with my book uh, has biographical elements. Mm. Um, but I this is not a biography. Um, it has elements of memoir, it has elements of biography, it has elements of travel writing and, and, so, mm. and some reflection, philosophical reflection. But um, because I never set out to write a biography, I, I, mm. I stayed away from biographies. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't link your, yourself, your name, to any other musician or um, public figure in the way that you have with Leonard Cohen, but... If you were to write a second type of book of Cohen, obviously you know removing that name, is there is there you know you mentioned to me oft take that you love um, Alejandro Escovedo, and obviously you've talked about Arthur Lee. Is there is there a person that you would like to explore your connection to their work in a oh, book? If I, well, yeah, if you were to do okay, not so much do the same do, thing again, I, I yeah, won't yeah, do yeah. it again. No. But if I did, would yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. Is there <clears> someone that you think oh? I, I'd have some things to say about them, and I maybe not wouldn't do a straight biography of them. I might yeah. explore uh, to, to, to yeah. circle yeah. around a particular yeah. work. Well, I think Forever Changes you could yeah. take a shot at. Yeah, uh, the, such a the album is a yeah. The whole I don't know what the story is yeah. behind the album. Um, uh, you know, this guy who <clears throat> sounds like a posh Englishman mm. who actually is is. Is, is a black American from very straightened circumstances, mm. uh, you know, from the streets. Um, uh, so, you know, that's the first surprise of Forever Changes, mm. uh, the orchestration. Um, 
you know, the, um, the, the fact that every other album that this unit called Love made is kind of deplorable, but they just come up with this masterpiece. Mm. The, the, you, so you, I think you could do actually a, a volume about that mm -hmm. that would be for the, for the ages. Uh, um, that in terms of instantly recognisable mm, mm. uh, works, I, and I would do. <laughs> I, I, I do something on the mountain goats too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you're sort of dipping your toe back into the water of music writing with this book in a in a in a digressive sort of way. Yeah, I wanted to because I've yeah. done um, I've done the book before then was a cookbook mm. on Middle Eastern cuisines mm. uh, that I worked um, haphazardly with. Uh, restaurateur in Auckland, uh, an Israeli. Uh, I've done, um, um, you know, books about neurological disorders, uh, youth crime. Uh, I like, I just like different subjects. My mm. next book will be on politics. Mm. Uh, and I thought after all these years, maybe, maybe doing something about music. It just felt, suddenly I felt enthusiastic about, mm. buzzy about doing it. Mm, mm. Now you see your next book will be about politics. Is that in the works already? Yes, I've signed a contract for it. Uh, so that will be out in one year's time. Um, I'm not um, really allowed to say what, what it's exactly. about. But it's New Zealand politics. Yeah. It's a clean book. Yeah. In that no one's email have been hacked. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. Surreptitiously, there's yeah. nothing scandalous about it. But this is not a subject that's foreign to you either. You've written about politics over the years, like there's I stuff. Have. Yeah, yeah. You know, like been, the greatest hits collection has you know, a really great, interesting David Longy profile type okay. piece, things like that. Yeah. Uh, I I've interviewed every national leader that is national with a small in. Mm -hmm. Every leader we've had since Muldoon, uh, mm -hmm. Muldoon I interviewed after he he left. Right. So, but I've done. Uh, Muldoon, mm. uh, Longy, Palmer, Moore, um, uh, yeah, Bulger, Shipley, etc. Mm. So, mm. Um, so this will be, um, uh, yeah, p politics, New Zealand, um, of a very easy to recognise mm. nature. So that's Massey University Press, mm. early 2020. Fantastic. Now you did a lot of, um, you wrote, was it the longest running media column? In New yes, Zealand, ever, yeah, it will, and we will not and see you won't, its life I was again. just going to say that no one will get close to that. No, eighteen years. You eighteen can't beat years. That. Eighteen years. I wrote about the media weekly, monthly. Uh, no, fortnightly. Fortnightly. Wow. Yeah. I've always taken the view that columnists here should not write weekly columns because mm -mm. there isn't enough happening to justify mm. it. Uh, and I wrote for the National Business Review from two thousand to twenty eighteen. Wow. Uh, on media, media is like rock and roll. It's like uh, yeah. I, now I'm I'm allergic to writing. I was going to say, media. do you miss it? But I guess what? No, <laughs> like you, no. you you did you did that for longer than uh, not only anyone should, but then clearly than what you would have thought. Because we got we get into these things. I mean, I wrote a daily blog about music for nine years. I thought it would be nine months, you know, and then I thought it would be two years, and then I never thought about it. It just became a thing to do, mm. and so. You know, I don't know whether that's good or not, but it just happened. And, mm. you know, we'll also not see that again, because that was every day. Yeah, I look for... at your enthusiasm for music. I, and, I, you know, I know about some of your activity, and mm. I, 
honest to God, I've thought this a few times about you. I, I don't know how you sustain mm. your sort of purest adoration of, of great music mm. uh, with the the incredible, you know, the, well, the amount of activity mm. that you do. Because for me, one diminishes the other. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I, I found... And, but although writing about media is yeah. a morbid subject. I guess the good thing here is I'm interviewing you, not you, me, so I don't have to answer that. I don't mm. have to... Mm. <laughs> I don't know what the answer to that yeah. is, so I, I get to not give you one. Mm. But, um, you, yeah, I mean, the media stuff is was an interesting time for you to work through too because you're commenting on the media as it was eating itself <laughs> disappearing eating, yeah. um, trying far too late to adapt and evolve mm. I was going to ask you way earlier actually how what your and I guess this should come up now is is what your sort of take has been and how you've approached social media because you know you because because it came up in the in the new book, you make some reference to writing on a typewriter, which I obviously know you did because I know when you were writing journalism. But I thought, man, I had to adapt. But I'm younger than you, and I started working straight on computers. And in fact, I started working pretty much when you emailed things to people. I think the very first time I handed reviews and I took them in on a floppy disk. And after that, I was told, no, you can actually send us attachments we trust you <laughs> it was that kind of thing but you've gone from handwriting and typing up to sitting at a typewriter to yeah now sending things all around the world publishing internationally but also um surviving i take it on social media yeah i when i started writing for the british guardian uh i would um that, that was in 97 uh and i I can remember, uh, so you'd send them an email. Mm. Uh, I wrote about education mainly, but also a little bit in, in, in a couple of other categories. But back then they had two computer terminals. <laughs> and uh, my editor then, James Meikle, uh, and, and then Donald McLeod, they, they would come in, they would answer my email on the weekend. As yeah. They would come in and they would have to queue... <laughs> To use wow. an email in '97, yeah. so yeah. I was ahead of the Guardian. Yeah, they had no online. Wow, it was still, it was almost like Manchester Guardian mm, mm. Uh, times, uh, and and now of course they they sort of own the field, even though they're going bankrupt mm. at the same time. Mm. Um, but my career went back ten years before then mm. um, to when fa sending a fax was an extravagance, mm. uh, and so yes, I. I have that thing in the new book, the scene where I'm reviewing I'm Your Man. That's right, yeah. Just for a little, it's a colour piece, yeah. but that's how we well, do again, it. Well, again, it, yeah, it just speaks to, it's just another way of reminding of the longevity of your association with colour. Yeah. yeah. Um, learning on a typewriter actually is quite a good way to learn mm. how to write. You, there's a sort of um, uh, 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 an economy. Yeah. Uh, a tidiness, a rhythm in 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 writing that you, computers can make you lazy because mm -hmm. you go back and you know fix. delete and yeah. fix. Um, and uh, the, uh, I'm pleased I learned on a typewriter. I think if you can ace it, mm. I think one of the imperial. You're one of the things. One of the things that I've never really 
heard anyone speak about that I've always felt was quite interesting with Charles Bukowski's work was when he started exploring the differences between the typewriter and the computer. You know, he was endlessly fascinated as a guy who had typed up all his work on typewriters. He had a series of poems. Now, they may not have been very good poems, but I just thought that was interesting as, a, as an older man as he was um, wrestling with the computer and some form of sobriety. He he actually, you know, managed to sort of document that in quite a neat way. Again, again, his version of the little smirk that was behind his, his work. Yeah, you asked before about mm. social media. Mm. Uh, I uh, I do social media mainly for relaxation. Uh, I don't have a huge following. I think I've got one and a half thousand. No, yeah, not, mm. not as many as you. Um, um, and that probably is too many for me. Mm. Anyway, I, I just simply enjoy it. it. It's almost like having a drink. It, mm -hmm. It's... Uh, um, I do have a lot of people abroad that I like staying in touch with, particularly Britain, mm. uh, and uh, so it's very highly useful. Mm -hmm. for, yeah, you know all the normal yeah. stuff for, for sharing photos, and uh, and I do enjoy. Um, some of my friends are also gatekeepers, so I can, I can I trust them yeah. that, that they put me onto news and views that I might otherwise not have. Mm -hmm. um, I don't make. You don't make any money out of anything. No. But you'll you'll be using it to try and help that, and that your 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 Facebook page is going to turn into a a shrine. A shrine for the book. You can overdo Cohen. it though. You can. You, you can yeah. overdo it. Yeah. I, I'm really questioning a lot of these assumptions. Like today, for instance, as we speak, um, spin-off is extracted. Uh, uh, half a chapter, quarter of a chapter mm -hmm. uh, from Book of Cohen. Uh, now, it, it's sort of axiomatic in the biz that an extract, you give an extract right, mm. to a publication mm -hmm. or to an outlet, uh, and that is quote unquote a good thing for your book. Is it? Mm. Why? why? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, from from the outlet's point of view, you can see the rationale. I mean, it's yeah. it's a new book, so there will be interest, and it will be read, um, whether dismissively or not doesn't matter. It will be looked at. But from the author's point of view, from the publisher's point of view, what you know, what do, do, do we have? Has this been quantified? Mm. What, what effect do does extracting have on? Um, and, uh, on sales, and then, uh, although in the case of this book, I'm not interested in sales. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in social media, same deal. There is a line somewhere mm -hmm. where people just get sick of what you're hawking. Um, mm. So it really, there is a, I think, a real sensitivity in not. I mean, people mm. aren't as endlessly fascinated in what we do as we tend to be ourselves. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just, I always thought the extract thing worked well for maybe for people, writers who don't really want to be interviewed. You know, I can see it for that. Like, it's a good way of plugging a book if the writer really doesn't want to be interviewed. But you don't strike me as a person who won't turn up for, you know, I mean this in a good way. You, you, you'll turn up for a chance to, plug your book but you'll also turn up for you're you're up for a bit of a discussion too so you know you're going to pick you're going to pick your people you talk to or whatever but you're going to do it I so, like interviews so yeah, I, so I, and I interview 
fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I like doing interviews mm. as well, as well as you know giving mm. them. Mm. Uh, so, but I, I'm not selling my interviews. I can use an interview to craft something that is saleable. Mm. Uh, but an extract, it just seems like you're just giving away, it's more of this giving away stuff for free. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not, I, I'm really uh, um, sure kind of it. fucked off about the whole mm. thing. I'm not, no, I, I'm not being mean about the, anyone in particular, just yeah, the yeah. concept. The concept, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's like all publicity is good publicity. Well, no. Mm. Uh um, or if we put you in the media, you know, says the PR to the client, mm, mm. Uh, this will benefit you. Why? Mm. Uh, I think you've got to be a little more, there's got to be more happening uh, than that. Uh, a book is not, unless it's a, an anthology, is not a collection of articles. Um, it re in, in this case, it's 45,000 words. Mm. Reasonable effort has gone into. Mm. It's meant to be read that way. Mm. Uh uh, so wh wh why take out it? You know, nine hundred and fifty words. Yeah, I think you. I actually feel like this book would be a, a very hard book to extract from too, because as much as we've both been sort of talking about it being a, a set of ruminations and, and essays and extrapolations, I I feel like it has to be read as a whole, like which is how you how anyone. You know. Thank you. But it, but it, but it, but it, yeah, it needs to happen. It works if you do that, but it actually needs to happen because it is a it is a big set of subjects. Mm. You know, there's a lot going on in it. Thank you. If the, the book if the book is styled after anything, it's it's actually two authors, and, and the, the, this is relevant mm. to what you just said. Well, one is Chuck Klosterman, who mm -hmm. I like a lot, mm. and so the book has quite a lot of rock and roll attitude, mm. which is definitely Klosterman esque. Um, I, I think you know Fargo City Rock is the greatest. Right. Work I was just going to say what I was just going to say. What do you like most uh, about him in terms of, or maybe a particular work of his that you like? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fargo City Rock. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it yeah. celebrates heavy metal yeah. and wrestling and yeah, sort yeah, of good yeah. old boys and all the stuff I actually quite enjoy about yeah. America and. Um, and it's written with total attitude. He's a big Billy Joel fan too. Yeah, he liked it. He loves Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Um, I like, yeah, you know, he has just mm. the right get, gets the mm. tone right. So unapologetically, mm. uh, uh, lo lo love him mm. uh, and that book especially. Uh, the other one, which is very very different, is Paul Auster's Invention of Solitude. Right. Um, which is really a case of what what you were mentioning, Simon. The he it, it's um, it's this sort of not not stream of consciousness, but is this sort of seemingly unconnected meditations on solitude mm. uh, uh, that work. Mm. You, you get mm. halfway through, it's about the same size as Book of Cohen, you get halfway through and you suddenly realise this is all really coherent. Mm. Um, it's sort of 2am, um, uh, you, you know, sort of, you know, peering, pe peering in the darkness. Mm. Uh, stuff. So those those are the two mm. um, two two works. And you mentioned Christopher Hitchens in it. Mm -hmm. What sort of impact uh, player was he for you? Well, not not formative because he, I sort of became aware of him after after nine uh, eleven mm -hmm. uh, in a serious way. He was a fearsome polemicist, mm. uh, quite quite terrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
uh, I thought, I remember once when I lived in Washington, I, I called him, this is before 9-11, but mm. I called him and just got his answer machine. He lived down on Connecticut Ave, and I, you know, I was 31 or something. And, um, um, what were you going to say to him? I wanted to do an interview, but I, I got halfway through the message and lost my nerve. Um, he was that fierce. <laughs> so, so it sort of tapered off the yeah. mess anyway. Um, uh, Hitchens was... Uh, Hitchens, really, in the last 16, 15 years of his life, uh, tried to, with some success, uh, reinvent himself as, as his favourite English writer, George Orwell. mm uh, and so with with Hitchens, I, I share his admiration of Orwell. Um, he was a... a I, th I think Hitchens's legacy is... I mean, the difference between Orwell and Hitchens is that if we sat talking long enough today, we would some somewhere probably use an Orwellian phrase mm -hmm. like double speak or news speak mm. or Big Brother is watching yeah, you yeah. or yeah. two legs <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, four yeah. legs good two legs what what yeah 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 um, uh, I mean Orwell actually bequeathed language mm -hmm. and concepts to 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 uh, to us uh, no one would ever say that about Hitchens that's that's where the two differ. You're, um, say, you're saying that Orwell is Bob Dylan and Hitchens is Donovan. Yeah, that's I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, here's yeah. the yeah, here's the Donovan. I mean, formidable debater and probably mm. a better debater, debater than writer. Yeah, than writer and probably a better debater than Orwell, who yeah. was shy and yeah, yeah, um, not not in good health and mm. uh, and didn't he didn't do that. It was mm. it was a different time. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, that and would be. That, his, that would be. Uh, and he let his words do that rather than stand. You know, he Orwell let his words do and be the debate. Yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah. For him, his printed words. I for, for for him, printed words were mm. another language. Mm, the the mm. other language that mm. he used. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that would be the difference between if you're talking about writing. Yeah. Where where Orwell, you'd have to give a deep bow to. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially his last two satires. Uh, yeah, yeah. In a way, Hitchens, I don't think, will endure. And mm. he was quintessentially a man of his time. Mm -mm. Yeah, and I guess he's got that thing of... I don't want to compare him to... But I was thinking, like, he'll end up being remembered in the way we think of someone like Jordan Peterson. Like, I'm not trying to force a comparison between them, but that's how quickly it's happening, as he'll be remembered for, for all the all the wrong things that wound people up mm. and ultimately as probably slightly more of a footnote than in Hitchens's case slightly more of a uh, you know less of a figure and more of a footnote than perhaps he should be but it's that man of his time he, he, he was at the right place at the right time he mm. he was in Washington DC you know when the when the plane went over the Potomac and mm. into um, Longley Virginia mm. the CIA Headquarters. Uh, he was there. He saw the smoke plumes. Um, as an Englishman, he had a particular take that mm -hmm. he was able to st step back yeah, yeah. and give another perspective and give it in a uh, with a particular passion as yeah. someone who had adopted America. Uh, and he was great 
on TV. TV mm. suited him yeah, yeah. so well. It, it, his raffishness mixed with his Oxbridge airs uh, worked perfectly in that, you know, in in that medium. So you could you could you could delineate reasons like yeah, yeah. such as those and others why Hitchens had 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 a great appeal. His books actually aren't that good. Um, I uh, his book on Orwell unsurprisingly is is, mm-hmm. is his best work I liked his wee <clears throat> slim volume when he was dying too his book on on mortality I think that's really nice yes um, a, I yeah. haven't I haven't read it's that. a pretty stony heart that reads something like you know it's like Peter Wells's cancer book that came out it's also a pretty stony heart that says yeah it's not very good because that's actually not what it's about but it's not you know it's not about whether it's good or not it's a it's actually a person yes. laying bare their soul yeah as they have seen the light I, coming for them or whatever, so yeah, but I, I did like it. I mentioned on the radio the other day that uh, when Hitchens was originally uh, initially diagnosed, uh, he got pelted mm. uh, with Leonard Cohen CDs and songs. People would send him, just as mm. Christians would send mm. him Bible tracts. Lots and lots and lots of people uh, he later uh, wrote. Uh, sent him Leonard Cohen CDs. Hitchens, of course, was a you know, infamously atheist. Mm. He wrote mm, mm. a book with the facile title, title of God is Not Great. Yeah. yeah, terrible title. For Muslims and Jews, that's just a theological commonplace, <laughs> and God is not great. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he gets all these Leonard Cohen uh, songs. Uh, he's never been a big Leonard Cohen fan. He's not religious, but he, he has a sort of conversion to Leonard Cohen, mm. uh, and he ends up loving, in particular, uh, if it be your will, uh, which is about as religious as you can get for Cohen. Which is Cohen, it is most gloriously yeah. religious, yeah. and of course for the lyric, heartbreaking. Mm. Uh, if it be your will that I speak no more, and my voice be mm. still as it was before, and of course. Hitchens, at that point, lost the ability to speak. Mm. Um, he was still writing. Uh, so, yeah, most poignant. Mm. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And, I mean, just talking about this, just talking about, a ca- well, yeah, a character like Hitchens, who's who's still in fairly recent memory for those who, who know and followed him, I was thinking that uh, this this sort of magnifies a little bit how... how small New Zealanders in the scheme of things how we just couldn't have a character like that you know we've got we've got some we've got some great thinkers we've got some great writers we've got talented people doing lots of things but we couldn't handle you know we shut we, we shut down people that you know we shut down people that that, that, that don't think that 660 selling out Western Springs is a big achievement you don't have to like their music but you have to say that it's a great effort why do you have to say it's a great effort you know like so we're that's when that kind of comes out mm. and that we can't decide whether we're embarrassed about our Air New Zealand safety video or maybe it's actually kitsch mm. Um, mm. we're better than we used to be we, we are we are we're less conformant in, yeah and there is more space uh, New Zealanders don't do um, don't do emotion. They don't do physicality very much, mm. and uh, argument and debate aren't um, aren't a big deal in the you know what historically mm. has been a pretty stoic sort of mm. culture. Mm. Um, 
yeah, you need the, in this way, Hitchens have both, you need the sort of eccentricity of Britain, mm. uh, if I can put it that way, and the, you've got the flamboyance of America, yeah, and someone yeah. who can get both yeah. together, which I think Hitchens did. Yeah, yeah. Um, could be on to a winner. And yes, I agree that, uh, of course, economies of scale, human scale come into yeah. it, but we don't... You know, we, we have books, uh, public intellectuals or whatever, that's, that the phrase, and mm. it's, a pr- it's a pretty shallow pond. Yeah, 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 I just can't, I just can't think of anyone we would afford the platform. Uh, I can really. tell you who our last public intellectual was. Yeah. He used to live down the road from where we were seated. Yeah. It was Eric Geiring. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, he died what 30 years ago mm. he was the chain smoking GP mm-hmm. um, he he was Hitchens-esque definitely yeah right yeah yeah I just I mean you know I don't know it's, suddenly we're sort of getting into people you know like our version of that is almost the Sam Hunt and the Wizard of Canterbury you know like it's almost yeah. getting like that where yeah. it's these quirky and I mean I love Sam Hunt yeah, you know, but too. I'm not you know I'm not, not speaking bad of him but it's almost like the sort of folk hero version which just speaks to our mm. our smallness mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah 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 um well we could go all day so let's 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 wrap up Book of Cohen is there anything else that I mean I, I, I'm painfully aware now that, that this conversation for me as these conversations are they're the version of what you describe of finishing a book we're gonna I'm gonna press stop on this tape recorder and think of a hundred things I should have asked <laughs> you so I go through this in that in that version but uh, I'm going to just um, offer you apart from to plug the book is there anything that you wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about No, I, I usually conclude questions with the same uh, interviews with the same question. Um, what could I have asked? What should I have asked? What, what, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why didn't I ask that? Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's like being asked, uh, "What? What was the last good joke that you heard?" Mm, um, mm. Um, or what's your favourite Leonard Cohen album? What, what, what's your? Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've we've done that. Yeah. No, I think I, I think it's been a pretty. Um, um, it's. As fireside chats go, it's been been pretty comprehensive. Uh, um, yeah, I would ju- just plug the book. I think that yeah. if you like um, uh, Leonard Cohen, clearly. Yes. But if you're interested in what hopefully is a, a sort of thoughtful uh, journey around uh, him, uh, mm. done in a distinctly local style, but on a international. Um, you know, I was going to say stage and, and setting. Um, then, then the book might be worth a shot. Mm. Um, you mentioned that you don't, you know, you don't. You, you sort of said, oh, "I'm not really too." I can't remember how you said it. But you weren't too concerned with sales. Obviously, no, no. obviously, a writer would like sales, though. Like you're not going to turn them down. But you, this is this struck struck me as very much a passion project that you just wanted to Absolutely get out into the passion. world. Yeah, yeah. So the la- the the cookbook I co-authored, I think mm. that sold seven thousand. Um, it was sold out, and mm. uh, and that was great. It deserved yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ma- mainly for the contribution uh, of the restaurateur, of course. Um, uh, but it was but, a collaboration, so... But yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was great, mm. that was satisfying. Mm. Uh, and the Little Criminals book uh, sold quite well yeah. uh, and had some influence in the culture. 
I think, in terms and, of the Royal Commission. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it um, will continue to in some sense, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. But this, because this is so personal, uh, what means the most to me, like my 15-year-old boy is up to page 30, mm-hmm. and he's using the Nick Cave, ticket to the Nick Cave. As his bookmark. Show, as the yeah. bookmark. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, what that's a, why you did what, it. <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah. What more do you want? Yeah. It, it's, uh, uh, yeah, that, it, it, you're right, it's a passion project, and that is where, would be where my passion um, is. So I'm not, I, I've had uh, a really good review from Britain, so I don't want any more reviews. Um, <laughs> and the people that, uh, most of the people that uh, I care about have looked at it, or, and so I, no, I've got no no special, you know, desire. But notwithstanding that, if uh, um, yeah, it's probably worth a squiz if, if, <laughs> if any of this sounds interesting. Yeah. You're going to launch the book at Slowboat around the time people will get to hear this. Um, I'll, I'll give that a well. I've given that a plug in the intro. Um, are there any other plans for any sorts of talks or events around it at this stage? Have you got obviously you do some more interviews, but have yeah. you got going to launch it elsewhere or uh, well devise I've, some I've, sort I've of chat around about, it? I've, I've been asked about Auckland, so yeah. I, I don't know whether I, I'd, I'd I'd be happy to do that. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'll be in England next month, and I think we'll do something small over there. Uh, but that's more just marking it. Yeah. Um, uh, I've also been approached about Christchurch and uh, the Wire Rapper, so that will, and that will be it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what's happening on those fronts. Yeah. We're still sorting that out. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a great way to meet you. I can't, as I said at the top, I can't believe we've sort of existed in in slightly similar circles in the same city for a quarter of a century. Yeah. And the only thing before today was that you watched me play drums in a pretty average band and I knew you liked pro wrestling yeah 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 right yeah. cool oh well that was that's a good you know that's a good way for people to start <laughs> thanks if it be your will that I speak no more and my voice be still as it was before I will speak no more I shall abide until I am spoken for If it be your will If it be your will Let a voice be true From this broken hill I will sing to you